This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. In our first picture, we have David Dennis dressed as an alien. In photo two, we have Victoria Gretsch dressed as a French bedbug, wearing a French beret, smoking a cigarette, and has four legs hanging from her back. Awesome. Photos three and four, it's time to get the cats involved. Eliza's cats to be exact. Simon Tabby Cat wearing a chicken outfit. And Tom Black Cat is wearing a pumpkin outfit. They don't look impressed. Our fifth picture, we have Danny, Harry, and Charlotte from Ireland. Danny is in a purple dinosaur outfit. Harry is dressed in a purge outfit. And Charlotte is a pretty Princess Peach in a pink dress. So cute! Okay, mm -hmm. we have so many more submissions like this. When we uh, go through the show, you will hear some descriptions of fantastic photos that people have sent in of their own costumes, of decor, and other Halloween festivities that they've gotten up to. And we're very excited on Kelly and Romeo to share all of this with you. I'm Ramia, a.k.a. Cruella. Kelly McDonald is also here. He's been eaten by a tiger. And uh, before we bring on Dr. Danielle Johnkind for Ask a Veterinarian, another tradition around the world. This is more familiar to people, I believe. It's called Dia de Muertos. And this is a Mexican tradition uh, that has become very known across the world because of the bright and elaborate costumes that people wear around the entire festival. And in order to remember the souls of the dead relatives that people have, people pray and they celebrate life. Altars are actually built in people's homes of the deceased, and they cover um, altars with flowers and favorite things of the people who've passed. The graves of the dead are also maintained, and gifts are left for the spirits in case they visit. It's very cheerful. It's a colorful time very of generous. time. Very generous. And it's a celebration overall. Let's bring on Dr. Danielle Johnkind for Ask a Veterinarian. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. So, Danielle, it's spooky season once again, and Halloween is here. Dr. Danielle Johnkind, you are going to tell us, uh, give us one of your more popular top 10 lists. And this time, it's the top 10 things that you have to learn or had to learn in order to become a veterinarian. How intriguing. Yes. Well, you know, it's actually the top 10 scariest things oh. you had to learn to become a veterinarian. I, so, I forgot the know, operative word. Yes. I was going to say, <laughs> wow, it's Halloween. <laughs> Come on, Remy. <laughs> scary is just a given now. Just add scary between yes. all the words. This is true. This is true. So if you don't hear it, it's implied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I hear a lot from clients that they, you know, or a relative, you know, they always wanted to become a veterinarian. And of course, you know, the idea of snuggling cute puppies all day and kittens and heroically saving animal lives, you know, of course, it appeals to a lot of people. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that, really, you know, but while there are definitely days that that kind of great stuff happens, you know, the reality is that, you know, the veterinary profession faces its fair share of challenging and scary days too. And of course, um, 
those challenges start in vet school and you might be surprised how scary it is to learn some of the skills a vet needs when you're a veterinary student. Um, it's not something that people always consider when choosing vet medicine as a career. So without any further ado, you know, we'll just talk about some of those scary things. So uh, on number 10 on my list is trimming nails. So Yowch. judging... <laughs> Judging by the number of comments I get from clients that tell me they are terrified to trim their pet's nails, you know, I think this is one that a lot of people will identify with. And as I've mentioned on the show previously, you know, there really is no course in how to trim nails in vet school. At least there wasn't when I graduated. And, you know, so you're armed only with the knowledge of anatomy, a pair of nail trimmers, and a little jar of quick stop powder. <laughs> Vet students and new grads are just sort of expected to sink or swim. Get out there and trim those nails, people. Um, every yelp from a nail trim too short is a potential scar on your soul. You know? And you have to force yourself to believe in the power of blood to clot. So, you know, as a new uh. grad, there's... Also, the concern that a bad nail trim will destroy your fledgling reputation in the eyes of a client, you know, so it can be some scary stuff indeed. <laughs> wow, a little more to lose out than a bad haircut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hair grows back. Well, so do nails, I suppose. That's mm. that's a good analogy. <laughs> so number nine. Sorry, mm -hmm. Ram, you go oh, ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it is one of the scariest things, vet or not, to deal with nails, but carry on. Well, number nine is learning to discuss finances, you know, um, with some exceptions, veterinary medicine, of course, is a business and people do have to pay for the services of a veterinarian. And of course, we all know if a business cannot recoup its expenses and provide an income for its owner, it can't stay open. But, you know, it's sometimes really difficult to grapple with this reality when you're faced with, you know, a client with financial difficulties and an animal that needs medical care. So, you know, learning to do that, you know, and talking about the financial aspects of the job can be really scary when you're new to the profession, mm. you know. And so that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about either that's a fair point and it's just because of the uncomfortable conversations you got to like rip band-aids off sometimes but also negotiations and things like that come into play right yeah and making sure that you do the best that you absolutely can for that pet you know within what the owner is able or willing to do so you know it, it definitely is a, like a real skill that you have to pick up for sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your next one danielle creeping us out no taking on the mantle of professional responsibility oh and you know this is another one i'm not really sure that a lot of people consider and you know there's a lot of personal responsibility that comes with being a vet so you know when you're a student you know your teachers are responsible for every wrong thing that you do but once right. you graduate you take that on yourself and that can actually be a little bit scary until you get used to it. I mean, you know, when you think about it, like what if you are wrong about a diagnosis or you miss some piece of information in the medical record and, you know, there can be really serious consequences for a pet's health if you're wrong about something. And, you know, so that's one thing, but you're also responsible for your behavior. So no right. matter how angry or upset you are about a situation, you must never be unprofessional in your interactions with people. You know, you really do have to learn to suspend your judgment, you know, find that empathy and be calm and rational under mm. sometimes some really scary or difficult circumstances. That's right. a lot of stress. 
it can be, you know, you, you yeah, kind of get first. used to it. Yeah, at first, you know, until you develop those kinds of skills, you know, some things you can really only learn on the job. It gets, you know, easier mm-hmm. as time goes on. So number seven, um, one I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, and that is poking needles into bodies. <laughs> oh. You know, we That's sort of take one. it. Yes, yes, it is. And we sort of take it for granted, you know, that vets are not squeamish about poking bodies with sharp things. And of course, it's true, we are not. But however, recall that we weren't born as veterinarians, you know, Um, and you can picture the very first time a student has to get a blood sample from a dog, you know, they've probably worked in vet clinics or, you know, seen it done a million times. They've probably even held dogs for the procedure and have all the knowledge they need to know where to find a vein. But this is the first time they are wielding the needle personally, and they have to confront that innate horror that we all have of sharp things, right? And when you think about poking sharp things into bodies, you know, your first thought is, this is just wrong, you know? Mm. I just don't want to do this. And I remember the first time that I had to do it, I remember some distant part of my subconscious crying crying out, wait a minute, we're going to do what? Really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh. And it's not like the dog or cat can tell you, hey, hey, ow, or anything, and you feel yeah. even worse. Yeah. It's a skill, I'm, too, right? Knowing how your, the pet may react and what kind of tricks you have up your sleeve to distract them and things like that. You know, things you've shared with us over the years. Yeah, yeah. and definitely that comes with experience as well. You mm-hmm. know, it's quite helpful. So number six is anesthesia. So, I mean, the art of taking away pain and anxiety is a wonderful part of modern veterinary medicine. And thanks to modern anesthetics, our training and techniques, you know, it's the safest it has ever been. And of course, as a student, your brain knows all of that. But, you know, there is this quiet fear that every vet student has to face and overcome. Am I sure this animal is going to wake up again? (laughs) I mean, honestly, you know, when you're in school and you see anesthesia and, and that, you, you know, it seems like some kind of a miracle when they do wake up. And honestly, you know, it is, you know, not because it's unsafe, but because, you know, it's just amazing the things that right. you know, we can do in modern medicine. But, um, you know, when uh, you have to kind of wait a little bit before that miracle becomes an everyday occurrence for you. You're like, okay, okay, it's good. I know what I'm doing. It's all good. Right. Oh, boy. I think, too, I don't know why, but anesthesia felt very scary uh, in consideration for pets, even just over myself or, like, you know, human beings. I, I'm not sure what it is, but they're just so vulnerable, especially coming out of it. And... um yeah, I'm thinking of when Glasgow got neutered and, and the anesthesia part of it was very scary. Yeah. And I hear that from a lot of clients, you know, and and so, I mean, again, you know, when you're learning these sort of skills, right, Yeah. Um, you know, you, you really do have to kind of confront some of these scary things because, again, we weren't born as veterinarians, right? Mm, and so, no, you know, no. we do understand when clients say, oh, it's really scary, you know, because, yeah, the, again, you know, we understand that, right? We've had yeah. to overcome and number five of course is surgery you know um so of course with surgery we run into that similar version that we had with needles only it's way worse you know Mm. as any medieval warrior facing a sword could tell you cutting bodies open is risky (laughs) so you know as a vet student you've done all your studying for anatomy you've read reread memorized and practiced all the surgical techniques 
you've practiced the suturing, you've handled your surgical instruments, and you've even done maybe postmortems and practiced on cadavers, but the first time that you're facing cutting open a living anesthetized animal, you know, no, no matter how prepared you are, it's just a little bit scary. <laughs> no kidding. Daniel, we're going to have to pause there because we've completely run out of time, but this oh, list no. goes on, and I know, I know. This list goes on, and these are actually very scary things. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this list is legit. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we could do a scary thing for Halloween. Mm. Yeah, as usual. Oh, it, I'll always have earmarked, though, that one list you did around Halloween where you were yep. shoulder deep into something. Where mm -hmm. you were gory and... Uh, Danielle, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Danielle, happy Halloween. Danielle John Kind joins us at this time every week on the program for Ask a Veterinarian. After the break, we have our wellness chat with Frances Wong, and she's keeping us honest because we're talking oral health and cavities, how to maintain our teeth, because, of course, we're going to hang up after this and go eat a bunch of chocolate. Maybe. Maybe if you're feeling like it after this conversation. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 